As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Cool. Online, on TV, on social media, on Facebook. You'll be all over. KCAA Loma Linda. 10.50 a.m. 106.5 FM and now 102.3 FM. Historic blast-off, Minneapolis violence. I'm Ann Cates. Two Americans have blasted off in a rocket ship designed by SpaceX. Astronauts Bob Bankin and Doug Hurley headed for the International Space Station, a historic day for American space travel. SpaceX Dragon, or go for launch. Let's light this candle. The SpaceX Dragon launched from NASA's Cape Canaveral. Three, two, one, zero. Ignition. Liftoff of the Falcon 9 and Crew Dragon. Go NASA. Go SpaceX. Godspeed. Bottom dive. Less than 10 minutes into the flight, the Falcon 9 rocket separated from the capsule as planned and made a successful landing. I'm Clayton Neville. Cleanup continues in Minneapolis after another night of violence. Mayor Jacob Fry says the Minnesota National Guard is being called up today to control the chaos. We will be mobilizing the largest force that has ever come forward in the state of Minnesota history to help. We understand that you're concerned. We want to be there for you. The COVID-19 shutdowns have had a severe impact on the retail sector in April. While the loss of $1.89 trillion in retail economic activity was a major blow, the big picture isn't entirely gloomy. We ought to give some positive uh sort of uh, silver lining in this dark cloud. Jack Kleinhens is chief economist for the National Retail Federation. Gasoline prices are nearly a dollar below where they were uh, a year ago. We also have lower interest, interest rates. And he said there's a lot of pent-up demand among those consumers who haven't had many options. We know the customers, uh, consumers, excuse me, have received stimulus checks. Steve Kastenbaum, New York. Alaska Governor uh, Dyke Dunleavy says air travelers will have to be tested for the coronavirus before boarding a plane to the state or submit to a 14-day quarantine upon arrival. Out-of-state travelers to Alaska need to submit proof of testing. I'm Ann Cates. This is Gary Garver. In these trying times, many people are depressed and lost because the future of our society is up in the air. People turn to drastic measures including the abuse of drugs and alcohol. 
If you're going through these troubling times and turning to substance abuse because you're feeling there is no hope, we have a way for you to see the light. SAD, or Stop Abusing Drugs and Alcohol, is a nonprofit organization that will help you at no cost to you stop abusing drugs or alcohol. Founded by Tony Navarchi, SAD will refer you to the top detox doctors in your area. If you're having financial hardships, SAD will pay every and any cost for you, including doctor visits, counseling, and medications. Save your life and contact Tony. You can reach out to him by calling him personally at 310-999-1887 or visit the website saddetox.com. That's S-A-D-D-E-T-O-X.com. Here's the legend of Mountain Mike's Pizza. There's a tale the early settlers tell that while panning for gold just below San Francisco near the Redwoods, a unique discovery was made. Not just gold in the ground, but the golden smell of Mountain Mike's Pizza and their fresh homemade pepperonis. A taste the 49ers from all over California couldn't pass up. It was pizza from the mountaintop. Pizza the way it ought to be. Since 70-aught plus 8, Mountain Mike's has been dishing up pizza dough rolled fresh daily using real whole milk mozzarella with mouth watering delicious fresh ingredients including their legendary crisp curly pepperoni that makes their pizza sought after like the gold of the 1800s. Now, Mountain Mike's has come to Redlands, located at the Redlands Packing House District near Sprouts. Feed your family for the holidays at mountainmikespizza.com or 909-335-1133 That's 909-335-1133 and discover this pizza gold for yourself. Google Mountain Mike's Redlands. Do you have a debt problem? Are you being sued for an unpaid debt? Is your paycheck being garnished or your bank account emptied out? Do you feel like you're running out of options? The Fullman Firm is your friendly local law firm next door and has helped thousands of people just like you. Give us a call at 833-FULLMAN and see if we can help you too. It's a free confidential consultation. You have nothing to lose. For debts above $7,000, give us a call at 833-FULLMAN or check out FullmanFirm.com. That's 833-F-U-L-L-M-A-N. The Fullman Firm. Let our lawyers get you on the path to financial freedom. The proceeding is not intended as a guarantee or estimate of the outcome of your case. Every case is unique and past results are not indicators of the success of your case. Take control of your financial future and call 833-FULLMAN or visit FullmanFirm.com now. Looking for a new place to eat? Delicious food at a great value? The Tri-City Center in Redlands is proud to announce the grand opening of a fine new dining establishment. Terry's Diner, at the former location of the Spunky Steer in Redlands, is officially open for business daily from 6 a.m. to 9 p.m. with delicious mouth-watering breakfast, lunches, and dinners. Treat yourself to Terry's tasty dessert menu, such as Terry's famous sundaes, banana splits, hot fudge cake, old-fashioned root beer floats, frosties, cakes, and pies too. You'll find weekly lunch and dinner specials all under $10, including Angus steaks, burgers, Greek salads, pasta seafoods, with wine and beer. Terry's brings years of tasty temptations from DJs in San Bernardino and Altaloma. Join a new tradition in Redlands. Stop by at 1350 Industrial Park Avenue between Tennessee and Alabama in the Tri-City Center. Google Terry's Diner Redlands on Yelp or find them terrysdinerredlands.com. Talk 102.3 FM, Riverside, KCAA, NBC Radio News.com.
Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar. Assalamu alaikum, peace be unto you. You are listening to the Voice of Islam radio show, your favorite Muslim talk show. This is Osama Safi, and I'm joined with my host, Armagan Jadala. Assalamu alaikum, Armagan. Wa alaikum salam, Osama, and dear listeners. The Voice of Islam radio show is brought to you by the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, which is the oldest organized Muslim community in the United States. The Ahmadiyya Muslim community has been teaching the true teachings of Islam which are love for all and hatred for none for the past 100 years here in the United States. Join in on our conversation here in the studio live at 1-888-909-1050. That's 1-888-909-1050. You can call us anytime during the show and reminder, it it will be live. Um, And of course, you could always email us and, and talk to us before or after the shows at voiceofislamradioshow at gmail.com. Osama, how are you doing today? You know, I'm doing pretty good, alhamdulillah. Praise be to God. I am, uh, you know, Ramadan is over, and now we're kind of going back to the swing of things. I'm really surprised how quickly my stomach has uh, caught up to my past eating habits. I thought maybe it would take a little bit of time before I, uh, you know, uh, got used to eating again. But now I'm eating again, and I think the pounds are coming back, and the circle of life just continues. So, you know, that's just life. How about yourself? <coughs> Alhamdulillah, uh, pretty similar sentiments. Uh, I've been, uh, I think, gorging a little bit too much now that we have kind of the freedom to eat during the when the sun is up. But uh, I, I got to say, I have drunk uh, enough coffee for probably a, f- a whole family. Um, <laughs> so you, so you caught up because before you had the issue where the coffee, you know, originally giving you like headaches and migraines and stuff, and now are you feeling like? Like, I've heard people that don't have Coke for a long time, when they drink Coke, they really feel, like, the sugar of the Coke. Like, do you feel, like, the difference of the caffeine affecting your body, or is it kind of, like, something you're just, like, used to now? You know, for me, I, I actually don't feel, like, a crazy spike or a crazy hit. Yeah. Um, it's pretty pretty steady, and I don't know if that's just specifically me. Um, yeah. Uh, but, yeah, for me, you know, luckily, at least, it's it's nothing crazy where I get jittery or, or, or even get crazy headaches without it. Um, but, yeah, so, so I, you know, we've we've been... It looks like you and I have both been kind of catching back up to our regular routines um, pre-Ramadan. Mm-hmm. And, of course, um, I'm sure you did. I hope you did uh, also have a very uh, lovely Eid celebration, which our last episode was the day before Eid. And so uh, I hope that went well for you. Yeah, you know, it was um, it was diff- it was interesting because we all kind of got dressed up for Eid, you know, like we normally do. And um, we really tried to decorate our house and make it exciting for our t- for our two sons. I mean, one of my sons is, is three turning four and the other one is eight months. Um, but my, for my three-year-old, like we put like basically put balloons like everywhere on the floor and we had this cut out cardboard mosque. And behind that, we had just a bunch of presents that we had um, gotten for him and other people had given to him. And uh, so he was just like kind of like, really excited about that. So we got, like, so it was interesting in the sense that like we kind of really kind of um, focused on the family elements of Eve and, and, um, and then just do a lot of FaceTiming with folks. Because, you know, Eve is always about hanging out with other people and, and hanging out and with family. And just with the COVID-19, of course, you can't really do that in the same way we normally could, not being able to go to the mosque. 
you know, that was tough. But um, it was uh, it was interesting to lead the Eid prayer with my family too. You know, I think I think that was kind of that's kind of cool. It was just my wife and hoping that my four year olds were doing the prayers because you know really he was more just uh, counting his toes. But <laughs> <laughs> that's just life. <laughs> How about yourself? How was your Eid? Oh, alhamdulillah, by the grace of Allah, it was it was a, a very good Eid. We've, we mentioned on the last show to our viewers that uh, the most simplistic and maybe a little bit inaccurate, but just to kind of understand what Eid is for us, it's basically kind of a Muslim Christmas. And so um, so for you know young kids, they get presents, and there's always really good food and sweets that are cooked. Um, also, hopefully, you know, people are able to enjoy a, a nice meal on the day of Eid. So, you know, for us, it was a, a lot of... of family time and hanging out with uh, close friends uh, and by hanging out i mean with some of them it was simply just going to their door and dropping off a dish um mm-hmm. but you know very festive i'm glad to see that you know even with the current situation um with the lockdown and we're kind of slowly getting back into the swing of things uh, we still were able to kind of in some way um resolve and 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 still celebrate Eid in in some way rather than having absolutely right. nothing which is i think what a lot of people had feared since this is kind of the first Eid of its kind with uh, with the lockdown during a pandemic. Right, right. And, you know, being in a pandemic doesn't make us forget about, you know, the world around us and the circumstances around us. And this past, on May 28th, marked the 10-year anniversary of the Lahore attacks against the Ambient Muslim community in Pakistan. And for those of you that may not be familiar, you get a taste of what uh, that means in the show and a taste of what religious persecution means um, for us all. It's something that has affected, you know, a lot of major religions in different parts of the world. And to understand what is religious persecution, how has it happened, why has it happened, and how can we respond to it? And for that, we are having a very special guest all the way from the waves of Hawaii. We have uh, Murabi Mutiala Joya. Um, uh, uh, um, Mom Joya, uh, how are you doing? Assalamualaikum, I'm doing great. So, before going further into this topic of religious persecution, could you kind of lay the backdrop of the Lahore attacks for our viewers that maybe don't have any idea of what I'm talking about? Continuation of uh, uh, the persecution that has been going on for about a century now. Um, before actually I begin, since we're talking about the persecution and there may be some graphics involved and just for, you know, a word of caution for sensitive uh, listeners um, that, you know, they should be aware of some of the descriptions might be um, disturbing uh, for them. So um, the Lahore attack or the Lahore massacre, as it is known, was an uh, attack on two Ahmadiyya mosques in Lahore 10 years ago. Um, uh, which uh, claimed uh, lives of close to 194, to be exact, uh, innocent souls, um, and injuring 120. So this, uh, um, these attacks took place in two different mosques, like I said. Uh, worshippers, just like every Friday, um, you know, all Muslims, they go to the mosque for prayers. And so was this on the 28th of May, when um, more thousands of Ahmadis gathered together into their nearest mosque. So... Daru uh, Zikr was one in Gadi Shahu, and the other one um, was Betu Nur in Model Town. So these two mosques were filled with people, and of course, we're a peaceful community. We've never had any weapons we don't use. We never thought that we'd ever need to use anything like that or would ever need it. 
So even though they were a threat, and we had all already the authorities had um, informed the government uh, about you know um, the threats and that they should take um, you know proper precautions for securing the mosque facilities and and the uh, and the worshippers, but unfortunately that wasn't done. So um, on Friday, twenty eighth of uh, May, as it is recorded, that a uh, number of extremists uh, entered um, the, both the mosque. Um, at the prayer time, at the right, when the sermon was happening. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match, with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. And they entered, um, obviously, without any resistance, um, with hand grenades, with uh, assault rifles, and, and suicide vests. And um, they just started shooting cold-bloodedly. Uh, wherever they could see, uh, find people, and there were thousands of them, thousands of unarmed uh, worshippers who were just there to pray um, uh, without any causing any, uh, you know, any any kind of disturbance or anything. They were just there to pray. But unfortunately, this uh, massacre was really um, the way it uh, unfolded, and the way we hear the stories were really uh, disturbing as well. We find uh, parents um, just covering their children or their toddlers um, and bearing all the shooting and, and all the bullets on them while, you know, bleeding to death that they were trying to protect their kids. Women were there as well. Um, and it is just horrific uh, and mind-boggling to uh, find the description of these things. And throughout this time, we see that um, the Ahmadi uh, Muslims, they were uh, praying to God the Almighty for, for help and for, you know, for his support. And that's what they really counted on. Um, so there, uh, ultimately, there were two suicide bombers uh, ended up blowing themselves in the mosque, killing many, many more um, people as we, um, as we see, in, you know, the history. The other two in model town, they were uh, captured by um, the worshippers and eventually handed over to the authorities who also had their, uh, you know, suicide vest on. But overall, it just shows how, um, you know, how painful it is for minorities to uh, be in that part of the world, unfortunately, and go through this every single day. So perhaps, and you know, something um, about aftermath of this, um, we know that not only this attack ended this brutality, but soon after, the, another Amity was stabbed uh, with, a, with the same mindset, um, just because he was an Amity and the assailant uh, called out that he will not leave any MD alive. Um, similarly, a few days later the, of the attack, the Haveri Hospital, where um, the injured ones were admitted and were being treated, was attacked by another assailant. And that he killed another 12 people, you know, innocent souls. 
um, so this shows the condition of, of the country and how people have to live in fear throughout every single day. Um, you know, uh, at the funeral prayer, we did not find any minister, politician, or any prominent figure um, to attend the funerals of these people. A few condemned, but um, generally the media was also not, not present there. So, unfortunately, this is uh, how the event uh, took place 10 years uh, ago. And the response to this um, from the community, of course, um, is, is always like right now you see how um, the protests are going on. It, it, it is, of course, very tough for the people, especially the people of that community, to bear the loss and to the, the reaction is is very natural thing that uh, you know that takes place. But uh, because we are an organized community, we believe in uh, in a global divine leadership. So our response was a response of our Khalifa, our you know our um, our supreme leader, the Khalifa of Islam, His Holiness Hazrat Mirza Masood Ahmed Melabi's helper. And uh, as always, throughout hundred years of, uh, you know, persecution and oppression, his response was exactly the same, that we should put our affairs in front of God the Almighty. We should not go on the street, protest, or create chaos. So one thing that uh, I think listeners should know about the Ahmadiyya community is that we are very much against any event or any participation where um, the chaos or unrest may be Maybe potential, or there may be a risk of other lives, uh, you know, at stake. So um, we did not go on the streets. We did not protest. Um, we just left the matter to God the Almighty and showed patience, just like the prophets in the past uh, have shown patience, and the communities of the prophets in the past have shown patience, all the way from Prophet Noah to Moses to Jesus to Prophet Muhammad. We see exact same pattern um, that is repeated um, over and over again. That that. Through religious communities are persecuted. Um, they have to undergo um, this crucial period of, of extreme oppression and discrimination um, and brutality. And out of this comes out, you know, uh, this is where they find the uh, inspiration to move forward. So, and eventually they are victorious, uh, as is the, as the promise of God that the truth always prevails. So um, this was just a background. I hope yeah, you have, your listeners have found it helpful. Yeah, and you know, and thank you, Imam Saab, for for kind of giving that background. And um, you know, I, I think what's what's really kind of poignant to understand is 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 you had mentioned that in in one of the mosques that were attacked, in one of the mosques, the the. So in, in both of these these instances, you know, the attacks were milit- military style incursions that were, um, you know, brought forth basically by extremist groups, or radical groups, and so I, I think it's really important, especially for listeners that may not be very familiar with the Ahmadi Muslim community or with Muslims in general, is you know this is going to kind of add another layer of nuance to um, your understanding because you know here is us, the Ahmadi Muslim community, the Muslim community, which is being attacked by these you know, so-called Muslim extremists. So, you know, obviously the conversation gets even more complex. Um, and the second thing that I wanted to kind of uh, point out was, Imam Sab, you had mentioned that in one of the mosques, um, the, you know, the extremists had managed to, I believe, detonate themselves. But in the other mosque, um, 
they're they were able to be captured and from my understanding and you know uh, i've heard various accounts varying accounts of this um but the the law enforcement of the area actually had shown up and set up a perimeter but they didn't enter the facility um you know either due to security protocol or whatever that may be and so it was basically left up to the youth of that mosque to go and find a way to stop this and my understanding was that it was basically the youth and young young members of that mosque that basically ended up uh tackling these assailants you know dis disarming their vests and 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 kind of putting them to the side for law enforcement to come and 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 arrest them is that right uh yes uh Osama. so the elite police force arrived in minutes um, but they stayed outside of the facility um and it uh, unfortunately uh changed into a hostage situ- situation especially in Garisahu and this lasted for 4 hours um uh, where um the assailant had free hand and a lot of time um to just cold bloodedly uh shoot and detonate themselves and, and the hand grenades and what not um uh, it, that's that's very true that it took them 4 hours to get to a place where thousands of worshippers were were there and they were hoping that someone will some of the authorities would come in and, and rescue them but they had to take uh, affairs in their own hands as a last resort um to save themselves and the another worshipper so as a result they fought blade bravery uh, many died uh, in the same effort some survived and some were lucky to capture uh, you know these these um, beasts who were just there after human life for being brainwashed over these uh, you know clerics so that's 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 a fact um, yeah and for bringing that up and 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 i i know that we're going to kind of get deeper into this so i don't want to jump ahead at all but i i also just want to in in kind of this setup you know in in speaking to to people that were you know either you know victims of the attack they were physically there or they have really close family members that were there is even after the attack because of kind of the current state of affairs with the Ahmadi Muslim community and the persecution of, of really religious minorities within certain Muslim countries um, even after the attack you know there was obviously you know the cleanup and the funeral preparations and even the funeral prayers and there was this overwhelming i've i've been you know account, accounted to there has been over there was overwhelming feelings of you know a second attack and so you know imagine that these folks that just lost their loved ones who are now trying to hold a funeral prayer for their loved ones even that they have to do you know under under supervision and under uh, crazy precautions to make sure that there isn't a follow-up attack even at the funeral and so i mean it's 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 certainly of a, a very uh, you know, just taxing, taxing event, uh, to say the least, you know, to put it in the simplest terms, to have to deal with that type of uh, just environment when something so crazy has already just taken place. True. I mean, it, uh, the Committee of, uh, you know, Human Rights in the United Nations, their uh, message to the U- Pakistani government was exactly the same that you've just mentioned, that they also um, believe that another attack may be, uh, you know, maybe uh, very soon on this community, and the, the government should do something to pr- protect. But sadly speaking, um, that was not provided to the Amazis, and uh, Amazis had to, uh, you know, rely on their own limited resources uh, in terms of uh, security. And even, uh, you know, I have actually been to the both of these mosques. I was, you know, in 2011. 
uh, as part of my missionary training there. And uh, what I got to see was it was really hard. And you know, even right now, uh, all the security that is being uh, put into these mosques and other mosques around Pakistan. Um, that's uh, internal security of people who have licensed, uh, you know, um, weapons for their personal use. They are just using that as a source to protect the mosque on, a, on an internal level. But from a state level, there there is absolutely no security provider whatsoever. I want to touch upon one thing that you talked about while discussing the persecution of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community in Pakistan. Is that you also mentioned the persecution of, you know, the similarities with early religious prophets, right? Prophets that Muslims believe in, like Prophet Noah, Moses, and Jesus. Right. Let's, you know, dig deep and kind of figure out what is going on here. Why do we have this persecution? How did this persecution happen? And kind of what was their response at that time? So could you kind of, you know, give a little insight on this and first of all, tell us about the persecution that happened during those time periods for those prophets? So, um, you know, when we study the Holy Quran and the, you know, Islamic literature and the Hadith and, uh, you know, and the Islamic resources, we find one thing um, that the prophets have appeared um, throughout the world, uh, and God had sent that. And the background for that is that, uh, you know, we uh, believe that we're all, you know, family of God. We're created by Allah, and God loves all of us equally. So, because in the ancient times there was no mode of, uh, you know, information transfer or there was mo no mode of communication, as per se, uh, between nations or between different parts of the world, so God sent messengers, prophets throughout the, the world. And Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, uh, has uh, said that there were as many as 124,000 prophets that were sent to the world to guide people. And we find one pattern that is repetitive, um, you know, in all these ministries of these prophets and their missions. It is the same thing, that they are persecuted, they have to overcome all the oppression, discrimination, and, and move on with their message and not give in. So that is, um, you know, that is the key. And we find that from Prophet Noah, like I mentioned, um, how he preached and, uh, and you know, for, for listeners in general, when you talk of a religion, uh, you should keep in mind that the purpose of religion is to connect people with their creator. That's the, that's the prime purpose, right? Um, and any religion that achieves that, or, or any when you talk of a religion, that's what basically it's referring to. That it's referring to uh, connecting people with God the Almighty. So when these prophets came, they brought the same message, that how people should connect with their creator and how they shall let go of all the uh, all the vices that people have been entangled in, whether they are moral vices or whether they are, are spiritual vices, such as you know associating <coughs> other gods with, with, with the Almighty Allah. <coughs> so that message of unity was always there. In addition to that, every prophet brought um, teachings for their own people as well. So as a result, they were persecuted. So no, uh, Noah, for example, he was, uh, peace upon him, he was also persecuted, and he was told that uh, his message is false, and <clears throat> he was told not to interfere with uh, people um, in terms of them worshipping other idols, and not interfere with their uh, moral state of life, and not teach them what the right message is, or what, what the right way that leads to God is. And he was mocked at, and as a result, um, God the Almighty, um, you know, advised him to 
built an ark uh, and on which he was saved. Many people think that that was for the entire world. Um, uh, it, it, uh, it, this incident definitely happened, but it was not for the entire world, where entire human race went extinct, and, and Noah, uh, peace upon him, was the only one who survived for his people. But in fact, this was for his uh, nation, um, this phenomenon took place, where um, a huge flood um, came and it drowned the vast majority of the inhabitants of that, um, that region. Same pattern is seen with prophets. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. With Lucky Landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Uh, Shoaib and, and all the other prophets that uh, they have brought a message. They, with the, some moral teachings, they are rejected. They're persecuted. As a result, the community or the prophet has to, uh, you know, migrate to another place. So that's another key, I believe, that is sometimes overlooked. Um, that the prophets, when they came with the message and when they were persecuted, they would always uh, suggest or themselves move to another place, uh, migrate to another place where uh, you know security was provided for them. Um, so that we can see that in in the time of Prophet Moses, peace upon him, Prophet Jesus, mm-hmm. peace upon him, um, Prophet Muhammad, peace upon him as well. Uh, how he um, you know suggested his followers to migrate to another part of the world where security and freedom of religion was provided for them. I think that's to, so beautiful um, how, you know, you have these prophets that come and they, you know, really create this revolution for their people to such an extent that it causes, you know, their friends, their neighbors, the people that they used to live with to want to persecute them. And, you know, it really right. is something about religion that creates this revolution in people and especially as, you know, these examples of these religions of, um, of these early prophets that really causes them to change their whole life. And um, I, I think you're just going to talk about this, but, you know, in the Holy Quran, we, we hear about the persecution of the early Christians, how they were persecuted for, you know, a period of 300 years before we know when Constantinople um, right. kind of, you know, took away that edict. But could you kind of describe a little bit of that story in the Holy Quran that describes that persecution of the early Christians and kind of what, what we can learn from that as you know muslims today and christians today so in in the holy quran um, there 
is a mention of, of course, the mission of Jesus, peace be upon him. There's a mention of uh, the mission of John the Baptist, peace be upon him. And also, there's an entire chapter that is uh, assigned to the people of the cave, in the Surah Al-Kahf, we call it. And Surah Al-Kahf talks about um, the state uh, of affairs of uh, the early Christians, especially, um, you know, uh, pre-era of, uh, of uh, Roman accepting, or the, uh, Constantine the Great accepting the Christianity before that, and how they had to endure and how they ha- had to live in hiding. Um, you know, for constantly uh, long periods of time. Sometimes there were good times as well where they would be able to go back to the cities and, uh, you know, uh, live peacefully. But uh, in general, they had to live in this state of affairs for an extended period of time, um, just, you know, due to their faith primarily. So, um, you know, it talks about the the youngsters uh, who uh, would go um, and get their provisions from the city sometimes. Um, and overall, uh, imagine how tough it would be. There are some catacombs in Rome that I was also, uh, you know, fortunate to go and see, and they are also attributed to the early community of the Christians <coughs> and how they, and I've seen them, it's, it's very, uh, really haunted and very scary to go inside. They're deep under, from, uh, from the horizon, it doesn't seem like there's anything that exists except the hill. But then when you actually go deep inside, there's a whole system, internal system that they had dug and where they used to live. So um, these were some of the realities that religious person, you know, communities had to endure and live their lives with these fears and um, challenges. Yeah, and I think it's, you know, for <clears throat> our listeners that might be, you know, just tuning in or, or, or learning about this for the first time, I think it's important to acknowledge and, and, and kind of also understand that the persecution wasn't simply, um, you know, just, a, just a, uh, you know, where your neighbor may not like you or, um, y- you know, there's some, you know, division within the society. I mean, the persecution that these prophets have faced, you know, uh, from Prophet Noah, Prophet Moses, even even Prophet Jesus and to the Holy Prophet of Islam, peace be upon him, you know, the persecution was... Um, from the highest levels. I mean, Prophet Moses had the Pharaoh, the the, the leader of the nation, um, uh, chasing after him. Um, same with uh, Prophet Noah. He it was the the extremely wealthy and the rich that were um, causing the most harm towards Prophet Noah, which which is where you know he needed to get away from this 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 society or these people um, because it was it was such an institutional. Um, uh, persecution and in a lot of these situations um, there were legal repercussions you know with the laws of the time that that made these prophets um, from the eyes of the state apostates and so a lot of these prophets faced not just the persecution but the threat of imminent death at the hands of the state um, during their during their um, their their call yeah absolutely no that's uh uh, that's a fact that uh, uh, with uh, most of the prophets, how uh, they brought the message, it was the elite uh, members or the leaders or the chiefs. Speaking of Pharaoh, he not only claimed to be a leader, but he actually people worshipped him as God. He was God to the people. Um, that's historical fact. So um, to come up with such a grand claim that you are not God, it is it is the Almighty who is everlasting. You know, you're, you're, you have flesh and bones, you're human. 
um, that was a huge claim, and he found that as a threat to him and his uh, his empire. Uh, similarly with Moses, uh, with Jesus, peace be upon him. Interestingly, most uh, all, all of these prophets that I can come across, except Prophet um, David and Solomon, peace be upon him, um, they were all faced with uh, these you know state sponsored or institutionalized uh, discrimination, um, you know, by the elite uh, of the you know, Prophet Jesus, you can see the Romans and the, you know, after all, the governor had, uh, you know, the pilot, he had the the final verdict in it, right? Uh, similarly, with Prophet Muhammad, he was a Meccan chief. The Mecca was the prime city at, at the time. And it was though them who actually initiated all these, um, you know, horrific, uh, you know, attempts to silence the, the community, you know. So, and same thing uh, in the time of uh, Ahmadiyya community, we find this as well, that it, it is sponsored, even though uh, the clerics are played their role in it, but eventually it is the elite that, that you know, that decide uh, in to the fate of, of the minority, especially. Uh, that's why Ahmadiyya community, we believe that religion and state should be separate. Um, and uh, the religion should not have an interfere with the state or politics, and, and that's one one reason why Amazia's community also is not does not proactively take part in politics and whatnot. So, and on the other hand, states should also provide this freedom of um, religion to its subject. And we find this uh, fact being praised by uh, the founder of the community, Mr. Ulam Ahmed, peace be upon him, that he. Even though uh, the British were uh, were foreign nation uh, with a different religion, totally altogether, and uh, the mission of the life of uh, Hazrat Ahmed was to uh, for, to make Islam victorious over Christianity. Even then, he praised uh, the very fact of the British Empire that how they uh, provided justice to its citizens and how they provided freedom of religion. Um, to its citizens, and all faiths were able to practice uh, their, um, you know, their religion freely um, until British. And when they left, of course, uh, we know that the presence in Pakistan and in other uh, various countries of the world, uh, unfortunately, uh, it's the it's the leaders, the political leaders, the people who make laws and you know and the uh, rules. It's them who eventually end up being the unfortunate ones to persecute um, the minorities. And this is a, a, a sad well phenomenon said. across the globe. We see that, yeah. you know, whether it's China yeah, or Rohingyas or you know, whatnot. Mm -hmm. Yeah, very well said, very well said. For those of you tuning in, remember, you are listening to The Voice of Islam radio show, your favorite Muslim talk show. We want you to join the conversation with us. So pick up that phone and dial one eight eight. 8-8-9-0-9-10-50-1, and of course, you can also email us at the voice of Islam radio show at gmail.com. Now, uh, Imam Joris, uh, I want to kind of discuss a little bit more about religious persecution in Islam because I think for a lot of folks that have very little understanding of Islam, they often view Islam from this idea that you know. Uh, they conquered a lot of territory, they engaged in wars. How in the world could Muslims be, you know? Uh, persecuted. They have this concept of jihad. What does that mean? Um, but, you know, there's a reason why uh, Islam really affected people's hearts. And there's a reason why, you know, that the 1980, 1970 book by Michael Hart on 
the ranking of most influential persons in history, that Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, was labeled as number the number one most influential person. Right. So people don't often realize that there is this 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 side of Islam, this side of the early Muslims, that was the result of a lot of persecution. And you know, Islam has a certain balance to it. That the only reason why there was this idea of you know protecting yourself was because there was an th- attack on Islam. It was an existential threat, and it was a type of self-defense. But people kind of forget about the idea that Muslims were first persecuted. So can you kind of give an idea, can you give a little overview about what that happened, how long that period was, and really kind of, you know, just share some of those details with our, with our viewers that may have and no knowledge about the early persecution in Islam? Right. I, I think it's a very valid question that is raised often from, um, you know, from the uh, people in the West about how come Islam, if you do claim that they have suffered a lot of persecutions and how come these militant groups have, have, have you know, been raised and, and what they do is also in the name of Islam. So which version of Islam uh, should they accept? So perhaps for that, it's a good idea to uh, be critical of our, you know, uh, of our own opinion as well and, and let the listeners decide for themselves as well. Uh, I think our job should be to present both views to them. So... Um, the fact is that uh, Prophet Muhammad's ministry consists consists of um, two eras, and um, I'll just take five minutes uh, to describe, uh, you know, what what that means for the listeners. Um, uh, Prophet Muhammad received his first revelation at the age of around forty years of age, and uh, he started his ministry uh, from his family and then spread it around Mecca and then to the neighboring tribes. As his message was accepted um, throughout the tribe, throughout the Arabs, uh, his persecution, speaking of persecution again, also increased. Uh, it, it came to a really uh, sad time where uh, he himself was physically abused. Not only him, but his family members, his, his followers, were physically abused, were tortured, and also many of them lost their lives. And this was uh, a period which... It was not for a few months or a few years. It lasted more than a decade, about 13, 14 years. He had to go through this constant, uh, you know, period of, of uh, oppression and then psychological uh, impact was also terrible on the early Muslims, as you can imagine. So, um, you know, this is a time when Prophet Muhammad uh, preached to the people and told them that he worshipped one God. And this was something that was question, was uh, was remarkably, uh, you know, objectionable for the Meccan chiefs. And they thought that their traditions or their economy was also jeopardized and was at risk because if people stopped worshipping their idols, um, then they would lose all their, you know, so-called glory that they had. So as a result, their persecution severed over time. And... Uh, there were different phases. Sometimes um, they would have, they would be boycotted. You know, boycotted. Uh, you know, socially, nobody would sell to them. Nobody would buy with buy them, and they were forced to be in in certain part of. Sometimes um, there are stories of people um, torturing. Uh, you know, some Muslims with putting heavy stones on their on their chest, or sometimes uh, a man would be tied there with one camel on one side and another camel on the other, and they would be forced uh, apart, uh, killing that person in eventually. Um, some women were also tortured in a very horrific, horrific way. 
despite all these persecution, we find that the teaching of Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, had always been that you should show patience. Patience is a virtue. And he said that you should migrate. So we find that the first uh, Abyssinian migration that took place, speaking of, you know, Muslim refugees, this was the very first, uh, you know, asylum seekers, a group of about 80-some people who went to Abyssinia and, uh, uh, you know, seek protection there. Uh, and then another batch of Muslims went there, so much so that when the Prophet's own life was in danger, uh, he also migrated. And mind you, this was after all these uh, times when Prophet would be physically abused, he would have uh, intestines of, uh, and internal organs of animals thrown at him, thrown in his food. Uh, people would throw dust at his head. Uh, you know, garbage would be laid on his head. So there's all sort of uh, things were done. And despite all these, he showed uh, patience and told his uh, followers to migrate to another place. So this is the true example that we believe uh, Holy Prophet had taught us by his own example. And that's what Amazigh Muslim community also follows. Um, think, so, um, yeah. when, so, so this is this is one part of it, right? So, do we have a few minutes to talk about the other part, or please, yeah, go ahead, go ahead. And I think that's you know what you're okay. saying, you know, before before you go on, is that there's a reason why Muslims believe that Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, is you know a model for all of mankind, and that's because there's just so many flavors right. to his life, right? We have him when he was young and he was born. Uh, uh, and and right. as, not as an orphan, but his mother passed away very, very much in his, in his youth, and then, and then he, he grew up without, you know, having that unfortunate condition. And then we had this period of his life where he was persecuted heavily, and how he dealt with that. And then we had this period of life where, when you know, Islam essentially ruled Mecca and then the Middle East, um, and how his life was during that period. And so we really get to see these different flavors of life, and we get to see how we should behave in these different circumstances by modeling the behavior that he showed us. And it's really something that is a special gift for mankind, for all of us, and, you know, for Muslims in particular to really remember those acts of Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, remember, you know, his conduct and really try to emulate that in our daily lives. True. No, definitely. I mean, uh, that's the beauty of uh, Islam, and that's one reason why it has attracted millions of people and is still attracting millions of people um, to its, uh, you know, its uh, beautiful teachings because Prophet Muhammad himself has left behind uh, a remarkable example of uh, of situation in which anybody and all of us can relate to, whether, you know, we're poor or rich or leaders or, um, you know, oppressed or, or whatever you can imagine, he has left an example for us. So, um, so speaking of leadership, uh, we... we also find that when he was uh, told by God the Almighty that his own very life is in jeopardy and, and the Quraysh or the Meccan chiefs have decided to take his life, um, he was, again, told to migrate. So he migrates to a city called Medina, and it is a city uh, that inhabitants in unanimously accept him to be their leader. There's a pact of Medina. It's a document that still exists. It talks about the initial contract that was signed by Muslims and the Jews and the pagans and you know, the inhabitants of Medina to make Prophet Muhammad as, um, as uh, the source of all affairs. And it was there when he became a leader of a, a state, of a nation. Um, and as uh, you could call it, democratically, democratically elected uh, a person, 
he was responsible for the welfare and the well-being of its citizens, the subjects. So as a result, it was his duty to protect that town or, you know, that um, uh, state that was a very small state, but it was established. And any threat to it was a threat to him. And uh, he had to de- he had, you know, to deal with it. So when he migrates to Medina, uh, we find the Meccan chiefs, ha- you know, continued their oppression and persecution, and they find themselves preparing for army uh, to attack Medina. So you can see in this situation, when 14 years have passed of severe persecution, and you have migrated from that place, yet the chiefs are still not uh, abandoning this, uh, you know, persecution. And the reason why they were not is because they were against the freedom of religion, the freedom of conscience. And that is what Islam had come to uh, establish. So two years down the road after his the migration of the Prophet, peace be upon him, um, when it was uh, imminent that the attacks of Mecca will come, so that's when the Holy Prophet received the very first revelation permitting him to take arms for self-defense. So that's when, and even in that verse, uh, God the Almighty says that if God had not allowed you or permitted you to defend yourself, then certainly the churches of the Christians and the synagogues of the Jews and mosques and other worship places would have certainly been demolished by these Meccans. So the very reason why Prophet had to take arms in self-defense was for the fact that he stood for freedom of religion and freedom of choice. And that's what was being jeopardized. It was not uh, like some other religions that claim that, you know, it was only doing for the sake of God and would eliminate anyone who stands in his way. No, it was for the freedom of religion and freedom of choice um, that was jeopardized by these Mechanists. And as a result, he had to take arms for self-defense. So it's very different than how today's militant groups uh, claim that Islam should be your, the version that they present without any basis. Um, there are countless verses in the Quran that talk about how uh, you are permitted to do self-defense because you have been wronged. And uh, that was the very reason why Prophet had to take arms, to justify his actions uh, in, uh, you know, what other choice would have been. I, have, I teach a class here at U, uh, UH, University of Hawaii, and I ask my students, what, what other choice would Prophet Muhammad uh, have had uh, at this you know, in this scenario, that you've been persecuted for 13, 14 years, and you've come to a place, and yet you're still being attacked with army. What was the choice? And the lady said, well, he could have migrated to another town. Okay, what about his followers? What about, you know, the other citizens? How, is it rational to just abandon them like that? So, so you know, there, or, you know, whether surrendering to McKinsey, was that an option? Absolutely not. So, so you know, we find that this was, uh, a permission granted by God in a certain circumstances where there was no other option left. And to use that as the militants do now, is I think, is, is uh, very uh, unjust. Very well said, very well said. And I just, you know, seeing this full circle of the life of Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi be upon him, we see, you know, how we can really model our lives and model our behavior after his esteemed right. example. And, you know, in the beginning of the show, we talked about the Lahore attacks, and we talked about really the tragedy that the Ahmadi Muslims faced at that time 10 years ago, and how, you know, they even were worried about doing the funerals for these individuals because they would have been attacked 
um, not only because of the terrorists that are in Pakistan, but because of the system-wide uh, uh, persecution of the Amli Muslims. You know, so much is said to the extent that you have to have on your passport a declaration that you consider the founder of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, whom we believe to be and who is the promised Messiah, uh, to be, uh, you know, uh, God forbid, a heretic. So it's so systematic in the government, and it's so ingrained that it becomes so difficult. You know, right. one just wonders that y your first reaction is really just to scream and really just to, you know, really fight against this. But how did the Ahmadiyya Muslims really emulate and follow the example of Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, in reaction to those Lahore attacks? Right. So, I mean, you know, speaking of the state-sponsored uh, persecution, it's a whole separate subject. Uh, you know, uh, right. after the attacks, one of the politicians said that by calling a person killed in the Lahore massacre a martyr would entitle that person um, three years of prison or a heavy fine. So these are such uh, terrible and ridic ridiculous laws that, unfortunately, the state has, but, you know, speaking of the Ahmadiyya response and how it could correlate with uh, the response of Prophet Muhammad, is is very obvious that um, uh, the teachings of the promised Messiah, the founder of the Ahmadiyya community, Hazrat Ahmed, uh, were very clear. And uh, it stated that Islam is a religion of peace, because the very word Islam means peace and submission to God. Uh, it talked about and it proved the some of the defensive battles that were fought by prophets and its context <coughs> and the teachings from the Quran and Hadith. He proved and he showed his followers that Islam, in under no circumstances, teaches violence, chaos, or disorder. In fact, it preaches harmony, love, and affection for the uh, human being. And this is the this is the teaching that was carried by him to his uh, khulafa, his uh, you know his successors and his uh, community for the last, and our very first martyr um, in 1903 uh, was, was, was basically martyred because he believed that Islam is a true religion and he did not believe in jihad by sword. That was in Afghanistan, Kabul. Um, so, you know, th this was an example, and as the persecution increased, um, so did obviously the progress of the community, and we find that the teachings of Khulafa has always been that you should migrate to another place, just like Prophet Muhammad migrated, um, and uh, do not create chaos, disorder in any way. And being law-abiding citizen is is the is the motto, is a you can call it a, you know mantra that we live in. That you we have to love of your country is part of your faith. That is the teaching of Prophet Muhammad that we try to live by, being law-abiding citizens and being loyal. To the country of our residents, because it has given us so much, and and you know, if we are oppressed, then God says in the Holy Quran, God's land is very vast. We can migrate to another place where it, you know, where the place might offer us freedom of religion and uh, you know, freedom to worship uh, God. So, so that's the that's the reply of uh, Amdiya Muslim community that has been for last hundred and twenty some years. Yeah, and I think it's 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 so important. It's so important to look at you know the past and because ultimately what's going on with the Ahmadiyya Muslim community in Pakistan and other Muslim nations um, you know is no different than what's happened to Muslim communities and even non-Muslim communities throughout history. I mean, I think we've co covered the entire spectrum of 
of the major religions on 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 at least touching the persecutions that they had faced and so there are so many examples for us to follow and you know we can continue to strive towards that true path of peace um and ultimately you know ensure that we are truly practicing harmony within our um nations and and with our neighbors and so imam joya we certainly appreciate you coming on the show and sharing this unique perspective with us um, we wish you peace on the Saturday, and inshallah, we will talk to you again. Thank you very much. And thank you, Osama. It was nice to be here. So, Osama, what did you think about today's discussion? You know, it's always a really humbling um, part to think about the sacrifices of those before us to get where we are today. I mean, sure, as the Amity Muslim community, we still face a lot of persecution throughout the world, not only in Pakistan, but in Indonesia and the Middle East. Uh, in so many different places, you know, it's difficult for someone like me to, for example, fulfill my religious obligation of doing Hajj because we can't practice openly as Ahmadi Muslims in Saudi Arabia. Um, but it's really a reminder, I think, for us all of the importance of remembering why we do this, right? If you're willing to kind of risk your life for a belief, for something that you believe to be the truth, then there is a reason why you're doing that. And we should take advantage of that time while we have the opportunity in a country like America where we're blessed with religious freedom, we're blessed to have the opportunity to have these conversations to really, you know, exemplify those features within ourselves and really become the model Muslims that we should be and follow the slogan of the Muslim community, love for all and hatred for none. Um, and so it's really just, you know, a reminder for us to think, like, we made all these sacrifices, but let's not have those sacrifices be in vain, you know? And I think that's just kind of the, the thing that I'm hoping I can kind of solidify in my own mind. How about yourself? Yeah, no, I, I, I totally, uh, you know, it, it really resonates with me, especially with this discussion. You know, I, I think if there's any perspective that any of our listeners that, you know, may not be familiar with Amelie Muslims or Muslims in general should gain, it's that, you know, a lot of us, maybe not all of us, but a, a lot of us, especially the Amity Muslims, you know, we're living in these Western countries, um, not only because of the, the, the liberties and the opportunities that are available, but a lot of us, our families have, in a sense, kind of fled the persecution of their homelands, whether, again, it's Pakistan, uh, one of the Arabian nations, or uh, Bangladesh or Indonesia. And so, you know, Muslims living in these countries, uh, living here in America or in the UK or France, you know, are typically, you know, we should be and we typically are the most offended when injustice takes place, when there are attacks on, 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 on areas by radical groups or when there's a, other types of injustice that takes place. And so uh, I hope the listeners at home, you know, this could resonate with them. And Muslims that are listening can kind of maintain those true examples of our prophets and our leaders and, and really become beacons of justice and conversations of 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 peace because ultimately you know without those conversations with without muslims kind of acting on our beliefs and our uh, practices you know there's we have to be the value add in the communities that that surround us mm -hmm. and that's the greatest injustice i think when we see examples of individuals that take uh, religions that are based in peace and use them as instruments of violence when in reality they are the ones who be, should be the first ones to offer their necks and say here we are, we are servants of this religion and we're willing to, you know, uh, give our lives for our beliefs because we want folks to have that freedom of belief. We want folks to have 
that idea of peace that our religion ultimately teaches and that all religions teach. But we want to thank our viewers, thank our listeners for tuning in to this another great episode of the Voice of Islam radio show. Um, if you want to continue this conversation, remember you can always shoot us an email at voiceofislamradioshow at gmail.com and we can discuss anything you have in our next question, our next show. And if you would like to give us a call, you can... As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match, with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.